Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets go out with a whimper, and two big factors played a role, fatigue and head coach Jock Vaughn. We break down the end of the Brooklyn Nets season coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and it is your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. He's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht, and Doug, we come in on a mournful Saturday afternoon. I kept it together at the top, but boy, this is not the way you wanted the Brooklyn Nets to go out, even if you didn't have high expectations for this series. Saturday afternoon was the proverbial whimper <laughs> to conclude this Nets season. Yeah, look, I mean, two years, two sweeps. It's a really rough showing. You walked into this game with no Embiid, thinking that this was going to be a game that they were going to be able to take back to Philly, maybe make things interesting. The first four or five minutes of the game really had you believing that, and it was essentially all downhill from there. And to say the Nets saved their worst for last, I think that would be pretty much the way to sum it up. Like, they really struggled in every facet of the game. We'll talk about maybe some extenuating circumstances that have to do with this. We'll talk about the coaching for sure, which really left a lot to be desired. Uh, in the end, it was a, it was a multi-pronged attack on losing <laughs> what the, the, this game was. It was, it was really, uh, you could criticize every facet of what happened here. And from, from just to have the season end like that, it's kind of like, it's the worst way to end the season uh, because it's hard to even hold your head super high. I mean, as a, as a fan base, as a team, it's hard to even hold your head super high off the effort. Like everything sort of coalesced here into one effort to make sure that they, the season ended here in Barclays and in a way that's honestly just really, really unsatisfying. It's a, it's a really, it's a really rough way to go out. I wish that first rounds of the playoffs were best of five. Because if you had gone out on game number three with all the physicality and all of the emotion and even the frustration of Joel Embiid and what went on there, I think we would have come out of it just feeling like, hey, listen, we're going toe-to-toe with a team that we know we're outmatched against, right? And we've given, we're going to talk about how we players have given maximum minutes down the stretch and into these playoffs and we don't have the depth and all those things. That, I think, would have been a little more satisfying just from what I think really would have put the right type of cap on this season, given everything that went on. And instead, and we'll get away from this into the post, you know, into the offseason and and talk more high level. But in this moment, man, just the legs for Mikhail Bridges, for Spencer Dinwiddie, for Cam Johnson, eh, a little bit less Cam Johnson, but those top two guys who you highlighted when we were watching this together live, They played max minutes during the regular season, and it looked like it finally caught up with them over the last maybe game and a half. Yeah, again, it's going to be tough to pinpoint exactly like one specific thing that happened here to to contribute to the loss. I do think there's lots of things going on here. Um, so I don't by by listing this first, I actually don't even necessarily want to put this as like the the major contributing factor, mostly because I think we're like in a in a tie for for things that went wrong. But yeah, just starting on a very high level, what you really saw today from these uh, specifically bridges, and I think you really started seeing it last game too, um, and Mm -hmm. it didn't become really um, 
sort of crystallized until this game was they might have just been at the end of the energy level here. If you look at Mikhail Bridges came into this game, he led the he led the NBA in minutes um, over the course. I mean, it kind of wasn't even close. Like he was mm-hmm. 200 more minutes in the regular season than the next closest guy, Anthony Edwards. Uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie it was eighth overall in minutes. Um, and he's higher now because when you back out some of the Bulls guys that were ahead of him on the list, like he passed them. He passed those guys in terms of minutes just with the playoff stuff. So these guys were really at the top of overall minutes for the season. And I think what you saw from Mikhail specifically this game was just kind of like this was the end of the line on max effort of what he could put in. We talked about it last game. I think we talked about it. I, I know you and I talked about it. Was that like Bridges took 26 shots and soft pressed Harden and Maxi the entire game. Like superstar yep. guys don't do that on both ends. That he was full, essentially the NBA equivalent of a full court press for 40, whatever his 40 plus minutes. And he took the most shots of the game. And I think really what you saw by the end of this one was, that their legs just weren't there anymore. And they just kind of didn't have it. And maybe you want to throw in, hey, they're down three nothing and it's hard to muster. Once you get down, it's hard to muster all the energy back up because you kind of know your season's on the line. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. But in the end, I just think these guys, they asked a ton from these guys over the end of the regular season. They asked a ton from them to begin the playoffs. And at some point, you kind of just tap out on what you're able to give. And I think there's an emotional drain on, on that game three. Yes, it, by yes. the way, None of these things are excuses. Like, again, we came into this series with a certain expectation. Both Doug and I were within one game of how deep we thought the Nets could go. And both of us even acknowledged that we were overestimating what we thought the Nets could do because we wanted to capitalize on those good vibes of getting into the playoffs and this new group of players. But there's an emotional you know, fatigue factor around everything that went on in that last game. And without Joel Embiid in this one, maybe in some ways it even takes away that villain that, that you want to get re-amped up about. This was a very a blase kind of game for much of it on both sides. And, and that, you know, Philly doesn't have a lot maybe to be concerned with. And the Nets don't have a lot left that they can put forth in this one. I'll, I'll crystallize what you mentioned just about Mikhail Bridges and the fatigue factor before we discuss what is it at minimum one a and probably number one with a bullet in Jock Vaughn and some of the rotations in this final game. Jo- uh, Mikhail Bridges played 34 minutes in the game one loss and shot 12 of 18 from the field. Now, the minutes went up over the next two. The shooting went down over the next two. And he only played, even though we know this one was kind of sewn up with about two minutes to go, he only played 39 minutes in this game. So, you know, in some ways, if you go back and look at that game one 34-minute performance, that might have been the sweet spot for how much you were going to be able to ask of him and others without kind of cresting over top of that. Very symbolic to me was the drive to the rim by McHale in this fourth quarter When he had it, he had beaten the defender, he was at the rack, and it looked like he didn't have enough legs just to get up there and finger roll it in. So um, this isn't the only factor, but that does – it feels the way I feel right now. Like I feel like I didn't have the legs to get to the end of this Brooklyn Nets season. And you and I started this game by, you know, feeling it, being invested, getting up, getting excited, and slowly I think we both collectively collapsed as the team did as well. 
And look, I want to be really clear. I, we're we're saying this fatigue factor based on what we saw with our own eyes, right? Like, yeah. we don't, no one has come out and said this. No, one, I doubt no one, anyone ever uses this as an excuse. Uh, it's just, you know, maybe you want to say it's elimination game. Fatigue shouldn't be a factor. You should be able to just pull something from somewhere because this is a do or die situation. I just want to, I'm, it was kind of what we, I, I mostly want bringing it up because I, I do think it's contributing and, and makes sense over what sort of what we've seen over the last couple of games with like a stark drop off in efficiency a stark drop off in the ability to score inability to beat guys off the dribble even like subpar defenders and like Harden and Maxi, who you really should be able to cook um without any with and with no backup rim running help or um backline help and Embiid even though Paul Reed you know put in a really valiant effort it's clearly not Embiid here there uh, mm-hmm. so I want to be really clear we're not we're not repeating something they said i was just something we talked about and i think there's merit to it i I think just watching these guys play i I said it mid-second quarter right we were talking about it when we watched the game i was like i think mikhail's cooked Uh, we said it right we said it there and nothing over the next two quarter two and a half quarters did anything to disprove that right like it just frankly if anything it just got worse and worse and uh, it's not it's not even an indictment on the guys like i think that i think that these guys put in absolute hero efforts over the oh since this trade deadline to make brooklyn like a relevant team to get them into the playoffs on a team that was basically, you know, essentially gutted and did a complete reverse course from what the everyone thought was going to happen. These guys were put into all new roles. Bridges shown. They have a star in Bridges. Like this, the future is bright, brighter than I think we thought it was going to be after the KD trade. I'm just saying at some point, guys like Mikhail, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie were asked to take a load that they really haven't had to do in the past at like any time in their career. And I think like a lot of superstars, it's something you build to, right? These are things that you build to over time. You're asked to do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then one day you look up and you're like, holy cow, this guy's doing a lot for the team. I think that for some of these guys, Bridges specifically, this, he skipped to the front of the line much quicker than anyone thought he was going to warranted. And at some point your style of play like needs to be amended to like, Hey, it's like, a lot there's a reason you see a lot of the super and I'll cut this off into this, but like there's a reason a lot of the superstars, almost all of them, don't play lockdown defense for like a lot of ga- parts of the game because they know on the offensive end things are going to be required of them. Some like Luca have just come out and said it. They're like, I'm not playing right. defense, I do everything on offense. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But I think for Mikhail, what we'll see over time is more of a evening out of what his role is going to be. And like I said, the reason I brought up the 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 picking up hard and full court, it stands out to your in your mind because you just don't see guys like doing that and it does have a down chain effect on your on your conditioning later. So I I don't know. We'll get into Jacques Vaughn here yeah. now, but or I guess unless you want to follow up that I know I went long on there, but I I do no, think no. that like that is like sort of what happened here. No, and it's you mentioned it's like you know go from being a the fourth best player on a team, your third fourth best player on a team, a contributor, and in a matter of two weeks, and then over thirty games, become the effectively the face of a franchise, and that's yes. what Mikael Bridges went through here. And just to tie a bow on what you mentioned there as well about you know evening out the offense and defense, he can still because he has the ability be selective on when he picks up those matchups, when he ratchets it up against a particular assignment in this series, in this iteration of the team, he had to do what he tried to do. And unfortunately it came up, you know, anywhere between 12 and 36 minutes short, depending on how far you thought the nets could go, even if they had all the legs in the world next year, though, we're going to talk about what is the bigger issue coming out of this game and a bit of a tragedy for, I think Doug and I, because 
we've been willing to explain and not justify, but just look at the X's and O's and the clear availability of what talent you have and give Jock Vaughn a pass. This is not one of those games, and we dive in on the Brooklyn Nets head coach decision-making next. Okay, so the Brooklyn Nets were going to lose this series. You and I both agreed on that coming in. However, it is worth remembering that the Brooklyn Nets were leading this game by eight at halftime. They followed it up by a 16-point swing in the third quarter, and it all went downhill from there. And this is even before we get into the choices specifically that Jock Vaughn had. There's just a reality where you need to, at a minimum, know your team, know where the fatigue factor is, and say, I got to make sure that when it comes to the fourth quarter of this game, I'm going to be able to run all of my guys for as long as humanly possible. And we saw this. You asked the question about haven't seen Spencer Dinwiddie in a while. He had a very long layoff in the second quarter. Maybe it wasn't going to matter in the end, but it just it screamed of, of, a, of a head coach who is either being driven by different directives than just trying to win basketball games in this playoff series or someone who, who didn't understand where the value should be, especially in a game without Joel Embiid. Oh my God. To say some of the decisions here were head scratching is really probably being very nice about this. Um, The, I I don't for the life of me understand what was happening here. I'll say specifically in the second quarter, like in a game where you probably had a chance to extend the lead. Philly looked on the ropes. I don't think Philly had any business wanting to win the game. Like they probably were fine. Just taking it back to Philly, getting Embiid healthy and kind of just maybe winning it there, knowing that they're, you know, the series was probably not in great doubt and things were trending like that after the first four minutes. I have no idea what Vaughn was doing here. The lineups he played make no sense, even for extent, even for shorter windows, like Patty Mills coming in and playing five minutes for what, for what, why, like, why is this guy on the court? He hasn't played in absolutely forever. They played a lineup in the second quarter that had Royce at the five. I actually don't mind going small. I think that's fine. I think the the Nets personnel is going to dictate a lot of times they go small. But the lineup that they played with had Spencer Dinwiddie, Patty Mills, Royce O'Neal, effectively the five, Joe Harris, and Mikhail Bridges. That, if you if you took over-under on how many minutes that group had played together, and the over-under on minutes was one, you could safely take the under. That team played zero minutes together during the regular season. And now all of a sudden in the second quarter, you decide that this is what you're going to run. Like for what? Like to get, make sure Patty Mills played some minutes in case you got swept. There's no other explanation. Like there's no other explanation for that specific lineup. And I know you want to, just one more second. Like I, the, there's no explanation for that specific lineup, except that you feel bad that you haven't played Patty minutes, any minutes, like uh, Patty Mills, any minutes, like there's no other reasoning. The lineups made no sense. They went super small. They went with Harris and, and you know, Curry again. Those, those combinations never made sense. Statistically. What a mess. This is a really, really bad coaching performance and not to say the whole game is lost in the second quarter, but it was head scratching at the time. And it aged really, really poorly. I just, you know, and it's funny. We talked about this at the time coming out of the trade. How deep will the nets go with their rotations? We talked about, the Yuta Watanabe's, the Edmund Sumner's, the Cam Thomas is like, we talked about all these dudes and the back end of the season told us that most of these guys were not going to see the court. So in that sense, you shouldn't be terribly surprised by not going to them here. The idea, and this is then organ, this is on the organization, by the way, 
if there was a collective understanding that we're going to reward and acknowledge the veterans, we talked around this around the trade deadline, right? Why is Seth Curry still on this team? Why is Joe Harris getting minutes? Even Royce O'Neal in his role, you can like what he did and still say you could be playing somebody else, whatever the case may be. They decided we have veteran players on this team and those are the guys that are going to play. You mentioned Patty Mills. The only reason that he plays is because you appreciate what he did once upon a time for this team since he's been here and you want to acknowledge him in the playoffs. That is not only incredibly frustrating <laughs> for, from a pure fan standpoint, it's also damaging to whatever you think Jock Vaughn is or is not. Because I'm not even, I'm not going to, again, we've done this before with head coaches for Brooklyn. I'm not going to tell you Jock Vaughn's the best coach. A lot of guys out there, fans are really calling that you should fire Jock Vaughn for. But if you have an organizational mandate that you're not going to bother putting in Cam Thomas for those Patty Mills minutes, that you're not going to go to Yuta Watanabe in a matchup without Joel Embiid, that his length actually could have been an impact here. And I'll even go a step further. It's not because he's amazing in certain instances. Dayron Sharp could have really helped you against Reed, who was absolutely abusing the team on the glass. There are very clear decisions you could make here, and Edmund Sumner thrown in there as well. None of them were made, and the only contrast that I can make is age. Like, that's all that I can do, age yeah. and track record with the team. And that's why you saw the guys that you did, and it's why you didn't see the players that you didn't. And it wouldn't have made a difference in the series overall, but it would have changed how I felt about Jock Vaughn coming out of this game and how I felt about some of these players because most of those guys that were in there tonight aren't going to be here next year. And that is, that's a frustration once you know the series is effectively lost. You still chose to go this route of symbolic gestures. That, that one, it, it just, yeah, it bothers me. It's rare that we'll spend time talking about a player that played for five minutes in a game, because I think that like, usually it's whatever the guy plays five minutes. Um, it, it's, it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I think the reason we're talking about it now is because of what it symbolizes. Like what you just said, it symbolically re represents just completely flawed decision-making on the part of the head coach. Is it five minutes? Yeah. Did they lose the game in the five minutes? Not, not really. Right. But like, um, but what it symbolizes is like a clear, weird disconnect about like what the, is on the roster and what you have. And overall, like what you're doing, Patty Mills had played one game in the last month, one game. Like he had played 35 total minutes. It was that end of the season against Philly and the throwaway, nothing game. He played once in a month, once how you would think, other than what you just said or what we just talked about, that it's anything other than like a veteran, you know, at a boy, you know, for being on the team that you would think that this would be like a good X's and O's basketball move to make when you have Cam Thomas, Yuta Watanabe, Edmund Sumner, guys, like whatever, see what you have in these other guys. Like, I don't know, do anything else. I, I just don't, I just, I'll never understand it. It's just, it's the, it's the weirdest thing. And I think it's a real indictment. It's a real indictment on like what happened here in this game. I, I, I hate to take five minutes and make it like this grand sweeping, you know, th thesis around Jacques Vaughn as a coach. But my God, I, like the lineups made no sense at the time. They aged super poorly and I'll never understand it. I'll, and I'll even mention, I'll even make mention of this name because I think it does go to Dayron Sharp and it does go. Why bring DDJ to the playoffs as a symbolic, like add a boy for your efforts and energy and then get down to a game like this and not say, we're going to play you. That's your reward because you're a young developing player that maybe does have some future or doesn't. Like it just, everything compounds and it makes it more, more, more frustrating here. Uh, I'm going to highlight a couple of stats here, specifically around one Joe Harris that drills this point home a little bit harder. 
and we'll just continue what is unfortunately effectively the exit interview for the Brooklyn Nets season as they go down at home at the Barclays Center, getting swept for the second straight season, this time at the hands of the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay, so the other thing that is unfortunate here, and you and I carried water for Joe Harris for a long time, and it's been a while since we were pro Joe Harris can still be something of a contributor for this team. Not only do you have his numbers, uh, we talked about this in the overall postseason and how starkly they contrast with his regular season games. This is a guy that finished this series one for 12 from beyond the arc. He played 13 minutes in this game, going one of five from the field. Again, this is only doubling down on the conversation. He's not a good defender. Neither is Patty Mills. Neither is a Seth Curry. And all the other players we're talking about are ones that can, can impact a game that with an opponent. And by the way, by the way, quick pause here. The entire agenda that I think we're both driving towards here is what could have been just the symbolic win in the postseason for a group of players that probably earned that, right? They earned a win with everything down the stretch of the season, all the turnover, maybe the fan base more than anything, deserved a win here. So to go with all those veteran players and leave guys specifically in a game against Philadelphia where they play an incredibly slow pace, guess what? Having some more lockdown defenders or guys that are capable defensively could have made the difference here too because there were plenty of sequences where certain guys were just getting run past, the fatigue, the legs that we talked about earlier in the show. All those things just conspire to have this be arguably the worst possible conclusion to a series you knew going into you were going to lose. Yeah, it's it's tough. Look, these guys, Harrison Mills played 18 total minutes. I, I like and so again, I'm just gonna back up to what we said about the Mills the thing is like weird to like weird to just kind of harp on these guys that didn't play minutes. Again, I think it's more symbolic of sort of the end of the season here and sort of some of the nets. I think these things are oh, like nets will go ahead and then I can say no, no, because I, I did this is what I was crystallizing too. The other thing that's frustrating about this is it goes in direct contrast to what seemed to be the mission statement following the trade. We are a team that yep. is going to compete. We're going to make the playoffs. We That is our goal here. We want to be competitive and win basketball games. That's the most frustrating part about not just this game, the series overall and the names that we're mentioning not seeing the court and the ones that did is because that is not, that is a rewarding veteran players. And that's, you can choose to do that but it directly goes in opposition of what you said you wanted to be a competitive team that wanted to try to win games because those particular players were not going to help you accomplish that in this series. And then specifically again, in a game without Joel Embiid in it, you had a myriad of choices in order to positively impact the game. And Jock Vaughn seemingly chose every wrong option out of those possibilities. Yeah. So all I was going to say there was that like it crystallizes Nets fans worst fears around some of the problems that this team has, right? It's like, it can't get out of its own way with, with, uh, with veteran players in times where it doesn't seem to make sense to play them. It, it may be not getting out of your own way with some of the schematic pieces of like what it might take to beat a team, especially when you need to pivot uh, mm-hmm. in terms of your overall approach, because Embiid's not there. And now you have to go attack the game a little differently, not being able to break a two, three zone like for some reason as an NBA team, like they, you know, struggled with the zone. So I guess I'm bringing up these, we're bringing up these smaller things to, and Harris is part of this too, to, to uh, maybe a lot of a degree is that like, it confirms the worst fears that you have around this team about like being married to certain approaches, being married to certain players that really maybe haven't shown that it's really deserving at this point to be yep. playing 
Harris's numbers over the playoffs over the last two, his two last playoff series are just uh, I'm, I'm as bad as it gets. He's like 24% from three or something like that on like a lot of attempts. Um, and so I, I totally agree with you. And like, he, he just becomes starts to represent this face of like, I don't hate to say failure. Cause it's really rough, but this face of, of mistakes that the team consistently seems to make around just choosing the wrong spots and the wrong and the wrong guys. And, and I, 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 by the way, I'm specifically not bringing up, we talked about bridges and Dinwiddie and, and we didn't even mention like Claxton had, I thought a really good game here. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I want to be clear about like, maybe not attaching like those guys' performance to the loss, because I think that these guys kind of gave you everything and more, yes. <laughs> right? Like, I think that like those guys gave everything and more over the last half of this season. Oh, outperformed in some way, their overall t- aggregate skill level i think this team you know they were 500 they were below 500 teams since the trade like they were boosted in the whim department because of you know gains that kd and company made before the trade deadline and then sort of landed in this spot in the playoffs but just to have this go out with like players that nets folks have long grown tired of (laughs) and performances and like maybe coaching decisions that fans have long grown tired of it's in some ways like so fitting that it ended like this because this confirms your worst. It confirms your worst fears about the future. I think in some ways. And it's funny because we'll get into some of that stuff and the issues around reforming this team around the guys you do like in the off season. So obviously you're going to want to be a part of that. I'll take you. We're going to say at the end here, but just shout out to everybody that's in here because commiserating after getting swept in the playoffs is never a great thing. So we appreciate everyone over on YouTube where you got to be subscribed. If you want to see us when we're going live, the other thing is, and I'm going to try to sweep myself back up onto some level of a positive note because everything leading up to this particular game, we talked about game three. I came out of those first three games saying the wins and losses didn't matter in this series, but certain performances did. And you, you, you highlighted the guys we're not specifically talking about. Claxton, Bridges, Cam Johnson in a major way. There are guys that checked every box that you could have wanted them to in a playoff series like this. So are there going to be a lot of concerns as we go into the offseason coming off of this type of loss to get swept? Yes. Do I hope that even if I think it was misguided, this final game at home at Barclays Center was about one final tip of the cap to several guys that have been key figures in this franchise in recent years and are not going to be going forward, so be it. Because there, there, there is that kind of sense of it. One chapter now is officially closed because the tail end of this season was still in the aftermath of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And we were still going to look over what the Suns did and what the Mavericks did and what could have been. This loss today officially marks the end of this season for the Brooklyn Nets, and it means that all of our attention can now turn to how they continue to build going forward. That is about as hard as I can lift to try to get to a silver lining coming out of this game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bump. Like I said, it's a deflating way to end the season. It's, it's a, a deflating bummer, way to spend the Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. Would hope nice more. Where, yeah. There's, you know, these last two, specifically two of these last two games were just so winnable that yeah. there's a, a very clear world where this series is two, two. Like there, you don't have to really squint to see a series that is two, two, they could have easily won last game. They're up five with under three minutes to go. It's not an insurmountable lead, but they were winning <laughs> in crunch time. Like they were winning when they got the crunch time, they gave it away. Um, and this game, the Sixers came in without their best player and they jumped out to a very early lead. And there's just worlds where this could have just gone completely different. So I think for the disappointment level, 
I think the Nets in the end are the team that they are. Like I predicted base. I think I said five, but I silent, like quietly said, it's actually probably a sweep. <laughs> like that's what I said before. I was like, I want to say four, but I, I feel bad. So I want to give the Nets a game. Yeah. So like, I'm not surprised by the overall final outcome here, but just the way it happened where you, where you can see two wins out of this going back to Philly and really making them sweat. I think that's probably the most disappointing part. And I'm actually going to use that as the, as the positive of this is that you were a completely outmatched team in this series. You have clear holes in the, in the construction of your roster, and you know that you're going to need to make changes going forward. And you were within two possessions of winning game three at, you know, at home in front of your home crowd against the Philadelphia 76ers, where however it ended, you had frustrated Joel Embiid. You had him looking a bit of a fool, flopping all over the place. Nicholas Claxton was answering that bell. Like, you were there to maybe be able to win that game. So you don't have to squint too hard and say, with a little tweak here and a little player there, all of a sudden this is a game, a series next season when you go, yeah, we did get one of the first three off you. We are going to make you sweat. We are going to be able to push some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference over the course of a seven-game series. I know that that's a ways away, but I, I am going to ultimately find myself being overall positive with the team and the players, if not taking a big step back on how I feel about Jock Vaughn in this moment. All right, we're going to get out of here on the podcast. Podcast will go up as uh, probably end up being Monday's podcast. Uh, we'll stick around a, for a few minutes here in YouTube to commiserate a lot of people in YouTube, everyone here and for a little Nets therapy. So much appreciated uh, along those lines. Make sure you're subscribed to YouTube. If you're just ca- kicking over on the podcast, make sure you go over to Lockdown Nets YouTube. We get You can just get more content over there. There's more stuff going up on YouTube than there is on the regular podcast just because that's how we roll on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to Lockdown Nets over YouTube. From yours truly, the Brooklyn Nets celebrated Earth Day by getting buried. Oh, the all-time great poets. We will be back again next week talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Welcome into the Post Podcast Podcast. I'll be interested to see. I was not monitoring. Sometimes Doug does this a little bit more in real time than I do around some of the sentiments. I'm curious to see how fans feel about this i think it's pretty easy for most fans to immediately turn the page and say like so what do we do how do we fix this for next year how do we make things better um but feel free to do the shout out at locked on and we'll go ahead and get them up here as they roll through here's brennan a frequent flyer with us i can't man what do you think about can going into next season you think jv will actually play him or just continue being an idiot now listen first of all i like your straight to the point approach when it comes to jock vaughn Here's the only thing I'm going to tell you. And if you if you feel like Joe Sy and Sean Marks have not handled things well over the last couple of years, this isn't just like a purely Jock Vaughn when it comes to Cam Thomas. Not just Jock Vaughn making this call. Because guess what? Sean Marks drafted him. So if Sean Marks wanted Cam Thomas to be playing in this playoff series, he would have been. So at a minimum, Sean Marks and the organization are saying, you tell us what you think you should do. Or there's, or there's a trust level there. I don't know. If I had to say it right now, Cam Thomas is getting traded because there's just no world where you wouldn't want to utilize him in a playoff series to get him that experience. Yeah, this would be fascinating to see what happens with him. I, 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 it'd be, I, I'd be shocked if he was back. I just don't know why. I, I, like I, for what they don't want to play him. I, I unless they, unless they just, <laughs> unless everyone on the team is hurt or got traded, and then he gets to play a lot, and otherwise he doesn't play. Like I just don't. I, that's not even an evaluation of Cam. It's just what how they've evaluated. He doesn't. Right. They don't play him. So I, I just don't. 
understand at that point what the point of having him on the roster is. He's team, I mean, he's team controlled for the next two years with team options. He's cheap. Maybe you think you're going to develop him more. Like, I'm not really sure like what the plan here is. I'm not sure they've had a plan with it. I, I there's, I'll go, I'll forever say there's something else behind the scenes here that we just don't fully understand because there's sometimes no rhyme or reason for this. Um, you're begging yeah, for there to uh, be something else at this point. What's that? You're begging for there to be something behind the scenes because if not, then then it's a well, whole other. Not, there's no explanation. I, I don't right. really know. <laughs> uh, a couple things. Not sure what Gerard was referring to, but I'm sure he's correct here. I nailed it. Yeah. That's a uh, that's a uh, good one here. Got this one. Thanks for the therapy, guys. Really needed it. No problem. We're doing this ourselves. I walked home. <laughs> I, just as a point of honesty, Adam and I were watching this game. We live a few blocks from each other. I well, I two minutes left in the game. I said, "Well, I'm out of here." I just started walking home. Didn't even watch the last. I think it was the last two minutes. I was like, uh, "I'll walk home." <laughs> and, and, by the way, with it's two and a half. Doug says, "I'm gonna pack up here and hit the road." I said, "No, if they just get a stop here, and then it was like a triple from Melton in the corner." I was like, "All right, here we go." Yeah, so, I said, "Okay." I was like, "I was already halfway. I was not gonna stop. That was not gonna stop me one way or the other." Um, <laughs> oh, oh, for joke, shoot! I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't read the end of this. I thought I saw the Simmons trade. I had a long text conversation with a buddy of mine. Shout out, James James Davis. Um, yeah, we were talking about Sim. We did talk. We end up talking about Simmons today in a, in a long text conversation about just like the net state of affairs and how you know we've all forgotten about. I mean, obviously, this is a joke, but um, the the we've all forgotten about the Simmons piece. And you know, you and I talked about it a little too off the air. But you know, the Simmons piece is going to be as, as crucial as anything. It's the worst contract in the league right now. It's not close. I mean, no one's ever, no one's even close on the contract. He would have looked real good in this series. 60% of his 70% of his old Ben Simmons would have actually probably been a something like a game changer here in terms of how they want to play, keep up the pace, outrun Philly a little bit. We'll see what happens. He's untradeable though. So no, no worries. No worries there. He is going to, I'll tell you with full certainty. And here you go that you can book it. He will be on the Brooklyn Nets next year. <laughs> Like there's now what role he plays. I do not know, but will he be <laughs> rostered on the team? 100%. They're never, ever, ever trading him. And I will be, I'll think of some weird thing that I can do if I'm wrong about that. I was going to shave my head, but I've already done that. You're going to so, grow um, your full head of hair and then shave it. Um, I can, I'm, I'm going to start a couple other ones here. Go ahead. And then yeah. um, this is one I think which is like an inner conversation here, but it says stop making excuses. It was not chemistry issue. It was a coaching and roster construction. And this is, I'm not, this isn't an excuse. Take the coach off the table. Remember when you find yourself in a position where you're going to trade away two of the best players in the league, your agenda is just trying to maximize what you're going to get back in return. In the instance of Kyrie Irving, you can look and say maybe more draft capital would have been better, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to getting back Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, like, there is going to like the roster construction. This isn't the team that they went out to construct coming into this year. You're taking back the best value that you can. And then you reevaluate in the off season and try to figure out how you can shift this thing. That's just a reality, not an excuse for any level of it. And especially I said, I'm, I'm taking Jacques Vaughn and the coaching completely out of it. Cause there are different rotation decisions that you obviously could have made. The one other one I'll just hit real quick is just on, on cam Thomas. Wasn't even bad as minutes in game three. Um, again, I'll just be clear. The minutes that he had were fine. They were neither good nor bad per se. Like he did all the things that you thought he would do. Turn the ball over a bunch, sat in ISO way too much. Also got the mid range and knocked down shots. It's not an indictment on whether or not Cam Thomas is good or bad. It's just an indictment on not using players that in theory could be a part of what you do going forward. And it makes you feel like they're not going to be when you don't see them get any run. 
All right, a couple more here. Um, what do you so got? So this is another thing I was talking to my buddy James about today. Um, about should the Nets trade McHale and start rebuilding the 2024 season because I feel next season will be very confusing. I agree with this. I I do not think. Okay, so here's my. I'll make another very strong opinion here. Okay. There's zero point zero chance they explore trading Mikhail Bridges, and I think I, I have agree. a lot of reasons for this. Um, th- I have three main reasons for it. Uh, one is he's very good <laughs> and so it's good you want to have good bets players on your team uh and you know more than bad players so i think that just from a skill standpoint just there i think he showed that he is significantly better than what probably mo- even the biggest mikhail bridges fans thought they were getting back so that's one two bridges does a lot to counteract bridges's contract is actually now from what you've seen probably like one of the best contracts in basketball like non-rookie, non-rookie scale kind of stuff, right? That you, when you guys have like a r- really cross-control rookie guy, they have bridges for because he signed super early before he became this guy. They have bridges up to twenty-five million through the twenty-five twenty-six season. Like that is about as good of a contract for what he is now as you'll find in the NBA. You would actually actually struggle to get fair value back on that contract now because it's, it goes out for so long and it's so little money. So I think that like. It's one of those things like, how do you ever recoup full value? They would be, it'd be so hard. It'd be so hard to recoup that the contract is so amazing. And the contract actually helps counteract the worst contract in the league, which is Simmons. Like you actually need a couple, and actually Claxton's contract's amazing too. Um, even though it's only for one more year, like those contracts go a long way in being able to put out like a, a you know, real basketball team. Now I will say, the only way to probably achieve like suit, like um real championship level status is to completely bottom out. And that is the trade Mikhail Bridges and lose every game. Like, cause that's what you'd be signing up for. It's like, Hey, we trade Mikhail Bridges for like a lot of picks and we just sign up for three seasons of like pain, <laughs> right? Like real bad pistons, rockets. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's going to be brutal. But the problem with that is, that won't even pay off because they don't have their draft picks. So it's not even like that pain will ever you're you'd be relying on the pain of other teams being bad. They don't have their picks. So even bottoming out and trying to get into the lottery, those picks go to Houston. So it's like, it doesn't make any sense. So those are my three cases for why Mikhail will never get traded. Yeah. And I think like, you know, it's like, you could say whatever four first round picks for Mikhail and then you start packaging and try to get up and da, 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 da. And you look for guys to wait for a superstar who wants to sign the max extension and then wants out of some place. But all of those things are dreaming on what could be. And I'll, I'll go back to when they made the trades. The expectation, or I think the goal for the Brooklyn Nets over the next two or three seasons is to be competitive, to be a playoff yep. team, to not be a team that bottoms out. And I know that everyone can say that's what they should have done, and I get it, but there's no guarantee. Go look at every team that bottomed out and dumpstered for the lottery, even if they've eventually, you know, quote, turned it around. Them, quote, turning it around is being a play-in team. Like, after getting all the young talent, now you're still waiting for it to develop and then see where it goes from there. So even when But you also, get down, sorry, yeah. one other thing with that. Also, remember, those teams all controlled their own draft capital. Like, the Nets don't... Right, right. Like it's, so yeah. the, it's not even... A, you can't even... Bottoming right. out what will Phoenix never... Does, what Dallas does, all whoever you trade exactly. the to, you're going to be looking at all those teams. And by the way, when you... May, I know you're going to say this. When you give Kevin Durant to Phoenix, when you give even Kyrie to Dallas, wherever you want to send Mikhail... Those teams all get better, so their draft yeah. capital all gets worse. Um, yeah. And I will it's just, just not to um, just to tie a bow on what you said too. Not it'll be basically nine million for Claxton next year, and twenty. You're, you're basically thirty million for Bridges and Claxton next year, 
and you have to do this kind of bookkeeping to your point when it's 37 million, almost 38 for Ben Simmons, you just have to sit there and continue to remind yourself, well, bridges and Claxton should probably be costing you closer to 50 combined than 30. And you're, you know, you're stealing that 20 million that you're losing on Ben Simmons. That still won't matter at all unless Ben Simmons actually ends up playing. That's the only way that those numbers fudge and work is if he also is some kind of contributor for this team. They have a lot of decisions, man, before you hit your next ones. They have so many things to sort out here in this offseason. You know, Royce O'Neal is going to be on the books for nine and a half. Movable guy. Patty Mills, 6.8. Movable guy. Joe Harris, 20 million. Movable guy. Spencer Dinwiddie, 20 million. Like, I just gave you over $50 million of contracts that they should be getting off of potentially at latest by the trade deadline next year. There's a lot that's going to happen with this team. I don't think Mills or Harris are movable, frankly. I I, I hear what you're saying because like they're at the end of their contracts. I I think we've seen too many cases in in recent years these guys getting to the end of their contracts and actually not being movable. Like or buy, they get or they get bought out. Well, they get bought know. out, but I mean, like, yeah. but you're not getting you don't get anything back for a buyout. I guess my point is like that's just cutting your losses and moving on. I, like so, I just don't. There's I just yeah, Patty I just, Mills I want is to too old, and I think Joe. You they're, know, they're you know, never. You know, it's a tragedy is that Joe Harris, for whatever he is during the regular season, it, unfortunately, even at $20 million, you could squint to see a world where someone would trade for him if not for the fact that his playoff track record is so bad that that's the reason you'd be willing to eat the contract is for that value, and he's shown that he won't be able to be relied on in that role. Yeah, I just think the the, the trade window on these guys is – I mean, Mills never had it, but like the, the trade window on these guys has sailed, um, so yeah. I don't think that – uh, who do you think is gone next season? Um, I think we actually play him consistently. I think the players that will be on the team next year is pretty obvious. It's uh, it's going to be Simmons, obviously. It'll be Bridges. It'll be Harris because they can't trade him. It'll be DFS because the uh, contract is out for a bunch of years, and they probably think that he's you know functional enough. Um, then after that, I mean, obviously, Claxton will be on the team. Curry's gone. They're not going to resign him. Mills will be back because they got him for one more year. I do think they resign Cameron Johnson in the offseason, so yeah. I think he'll be back. Um, and then I think that in the, the three guys that were, it's like the money's not fully guaranteed are Dinwiddie, um, Royce O'Neal and, uh, Edmund Sumner. I think of those guys, I'm actually not sure. I, I think they'll all probably start the season on the team and we'll see kind of what happens, but there's a world where they don't ever get there. I'm not sure the exact details of the Dinwiddie contract because it's not fully guaranteed, but, um, It'll be really interesting. So I I think the team's going to look mostly the same <laughs> next year. I think yeah. like at least around the core guys who get minutes uh, and then we'll see what happens in the draft. But I think that like that's again, it's all, it's all crazy. It all comes down to like, if, if Simmons is good, <laughs> like, because if yeah. Simmons doesn't play, I think what we, the expectation here will be probably a lottery team of a team that doesn't control its own pick. Like, I think that like, that's, I think they're going to, they're going to float dangerously close to that. Um, I think well, so. Good. No. And it's funny too, just cause like on a guy like Royce O'Neal, by the way, like your best case scenario, probably with Royce and just a matter of where this team is, is that he has the same kind of role that he had here minus being asked to do way too much in certain areas, but that he's your six man off the bench. He's a veteran 30 year old guy. And he showcases over the first half of the season leading to the deadline. Like, Hey, I'm a real value to a championship caliber team. And no one's going to have to squint too hard to see that value. Having watched him play in a starting lineup with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving the year prior. Right. So like he does feel like a guy that I think maybe right now is going to have the most at the deadline value. Spencer Dinwiddie's not hard to see that either. 
And I was trying to, I wanted to get it here. You can go to the next one. I, there is the 2023. Who's 2024? I want I want to find out. I think it's about half of that contract as far as guaranteed. It's like 10 million and then 10 million they can get off the books non-guaranteed. Uh yeah, I'll just throw a couple more up here. What do you think happens with Cam, Cameron Johnson? I think they resign him. I think that these guys, yeah. oh, this is what I didn't say with the I didn't say this with Mikhail was like a, like the third and a half reason. Whenever you trade Kevin Durant like and a player like Kevin Durant, it's pretty important to have like a face of something come back and not just draft picks. Right. <laughs> and like the fact that Mikhail is like the face of the franchise now, basically that more than anything else, like the fact that he went out for Durant and they got a real guy back, I think is actually pretty important for equity wise. I think Cameron Johnson's like 1.5 of that. Right. It's like, or half 50% of that. He, another, he's another guy that, that got brought back. I think he played well enough. I think there's probably a, some expansion of his game, which is maybe going to come here. So I think he gets resigned. Um, this, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll I was making a this note back. about this that we'll talk yeah. about in the offseason, whatever. When it came to Spencer Dinwiddie, some of his contract stuff, there were things around like 50 regular season games played. There was incentives around 50% of playoff games played, second round slash conference finals slash finals bonuses that were inside of that as well. So like there were a lot of stipulations in his contract, some of which actually got triggered even before he got even before he got over to Brooklyn and then certainly down this back half of this season. So it'll just be, you know, just just notes around that and things that we'll get into a lot more in the offseason. This is something that's come up a lot recently about this Dame Little thing because he was in the he was in the building in Barclays in Game Three. I, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, to but he me. hugged the seventy sixer, so that's a bad sign. It just doesn't mean anything. I, like these guys come watch; they're friends with everybody in the league. Like they can come watch. Dame's a super beloved player in the NBA. There is rumors that he's going to get traded. That the, the Blazers could move on this season. They're probably a few years late on this. I'd be really interested to see what the packages are for him. I I. I'm sure we'll do full episodes about this, especially if like something else comes up with it. But my gut tells me not to do this. <laughs> um, but I could be, t- I don't even know if I can be swayed. Honestly, the guys well, Dame's going to be worth $63 million a $63 million player option in 26, 27, like totally sweet like that. Even with a cap spike, and hoping that a small guard ages gracefully, which is pretty tough. <laughs> like, um, I just don't see why you would ship a team where the Nets are right now, why you would ship anything out to bring this guy in. And I think Dame's great, believe me. But yeah, I just don't see it. Well, my thing, yeah, see, so my thing would be a couple fold on this would just be that one um, listen, you want to tell me that it's one where you're dumping the Ben Simmons money, like, you know, whatever. But again, you, whenever you do something like this, you think about, well, if Ben Simmons can play, what would it mean? Right. Some people have said about like a package. He's not here. Uh, Jonathan saying about like, Oh, like trade Mikhail for Dame. That's no. never a possibility no. you should be exploring. And then the other side of it is from a Dame Lillard perspective. If you are finally at the place where you're like, listen, we tried, we did everything we could, didn't work out coming to the Brooklyn nets, even with Mikhail and cam Johnson and Nick Claxton, there's that that's not an automatic we're in an eastern conference finals right like that you're there with a great group of guys the nets are still got to do a lot of work to be a team that would be considered among the title odds or eastern conference finals or finals odds among boston and milwaukee and the 76ers you know other teams the knicks whatever the other packet teams that are on the rise the Cavs. like if dame's going somewhere you'd like to think it's going to end up being someplace where he thinks he's high level competitive for a championship so there's a lot of things that like go against it yeah like like the six like, out yeah 
like getting traded to the Sixers, who he might have been over there watching too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like right. That you might don't have to swing of... too hard and say, if I was Dame Lillard on the 76ers with Joel Embiid and Maxi and whatever, all of a sudden we are at the top of the Eastern Conference. So I think that's more as much as anything. That's the biggest factor is that the Nets are not going to be the most attractive opportunity for him to be high level competitive. And that's the only reason that he would leave Portland rather than just say, hey, I'm going to finish my career out in Portland and, and so be it. I wonder if too how where the, where the Nets are on just like being super gun shy about stuff like this going forward. I, I think that this like they've this has gone wrong for them in every possible way with the last three guys they brought in that like of the superstar caliber guys. Um, and I just wonder if that's just not where they want to go at this point. Shout out to Hayden. Yeah, Locke. I, this is this is the talk. I, yeah, yeah. Good. No, 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 that's it. Just the, yeah, Dame going again. You just keep rotating guys to pair with Joel Embiid and see which one unlocks that fully for everything they want to accomplish there in Philly. Injuries are a big factor. And then already hearing that Harden might go back to Houston in the offseason. Yeah, look, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot of questions in the offseason. I think the Nets in some ways have a lot of things they can do. I think in a lot of ways they're really limited. I, I think that they, this is why I think that this is going to look very similar to what we see this year. I don't think they. I think they can make some moves around the margins, but it's just going to kind of depend on, on, on where they are now, like with what they have now. And I think we'll, we'll close out of here, but a really good reminder here, just for what we're going to be doing in the off season for the first time, maybe since we've been on the network, this off season in the draft is going to be more interesting and critical for the Brooklyn nets. When you already have the superstars, you're trying to trade capital, you know, and find ways to add veteran talent. So we're going to do a lot more looking at prospects when we get into the off season and ahead of the draft later this summer. And, and we'll debate that. I, I think who are the prospects, who are guys that can come out, who could the Nets draft, and how would that potentially move the needle here? Because I agree with you on the sense of like the margin moves around the roster is going to be hard. You got all this money tied up into all these guys. That, that's going to be a lot more difficult. But if the Nets execute successfully through the draft, there is some chance where you can have me look at this construction and go, you added point guard X, hey, that's at least going to you know, unlock this much more for Mikael Bridges, for Cam Johnson, and for other players, including Spencer Dinwiddie, if you don't have to stick him into that kind of role. What confused you out there? Oh, baby, yeah. We got a lot. We'll do, we're going to do a ton on the draft this uh, offseason. We'll do a ton of just like different scenarios for the Nets. So we got a lot coming. Obviously, we're going to be going five days a week still starting this week. right? We're still rolling Nets coverage five days a week, so no worries there just because they lost. You're going to see – look, you're going to see other podcasts kind of just stop going or other Nets stuff kind of stop going. Not here, baby. Five days a week, all the way through the playoffs, all the way through the draft. That's just how we roll. So no worries there. Okay, I really appreciate it. I know we got a lot of people on YouTube, so I always hate walking away um, from this. Definitely, Ross, chamber some of these questions. I do see a lot of questions out there. A lot of them are kind of bigger picture stuff that we are definitely just going to cover as the offseason unfolds. So I know people have, have stuff to do, but Saturday afternoon, man, we've been rolling here for an hour. Probably going to go cry into our – drinks a choice and that's just going to be what we do but uh i don't know if you want to close it out but i appreciate everyone that's been here for the course of the season it's been a lot of fun yeah we're not stopping anytime soon but doug just mentioned it there the regular season or the season for the nets is over and we just we appreciate it man we saw so much growth across youtube all the questions the engagement the, the the battles of conversations around things it makes this a lot more fun to do and we love seeing everyone show up time after time so keep all those questions ready to go we're not going anywhere anytime soon but until next time, man, we'll be back talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.